Yeah, this is all I ever wanted. This right here, state finals, get a pin. Couldn't be any better than that. And that is a fired up Trey Hoover from TA not long after winning the Class 3 145-pound state wrestling championship this past weekend. And that's where we'll start today. Welcome in. Tuesday, February 19th, and this is another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, JMU football beat writer at the paper and host of the podcast. And we'll get to a couple different things today, including JMU women's basketball, baseball, softball with Shane Metlin, prep basketball with Cody Elliott as well. But the big event in town, well, not in town, it was in Salem. For town. Well, for town, for the locals, uh, was this past Saturday. And sports editor Jim Sacco was there uh, in Salem for the Virginia High School League State Wrestling Tournament, State Wrestling Championship, however you want to call it, define it, whatever. I'll start with this, though, Jim. Just how was, how was the trip? How was, how was the trek down to Salem? And, and what would you make of the event, just kind of overall big picture? Uh, just a little snow and ice in, uh, near, near Buchanan. Uh, but after that, it was fine. Uh, just the event is always spectacular. And, and you know, I, you know I, no one rips the VHL, VHSL as often as I do. Uh, and last year, I ripped them even more because they put the Class 3 down at some high school near Virginia Beach, and so all only thing was that Salem was one and two. When you put all three under one roof at the Salem Civic Center, one, two, three, like they did this year, and like they have in the past, it's just—I mean, it's an—it's—it's it's an unparalleled atmosphere. You can, you know, you could take your high school basketball championship games at the Siegel Center. You could take your high school football games at whatever, you know, site they hosted. There's nothing like. Virginia high school wrestling under one roof at the Salem Civic Center. It's it's a fantastic event, and I encourage everyone to go check it out. I mean, it is just really unreal. The crowd reacts. It's almost like a WWE event. I mean, just the way the crowd pops and the crowd, you know, some wrestlers got heat. You know, Christiansburg after, you know, they had their string of 17 straight team championship snapped this year by a very, very good New Kent team, obviously. But, you know, Christiansburg gets some, as they say in the wrestling business, heat, you know, where people okay. aren't fans. <laughs> oh, man. So every time New Kent was going up at points, that crowd just popped and it just went nuts. And it was it's just a great atmosphere. Packed. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, packed. Uh, just a couple empty spots in the in the in the upper pockets, and I, and I literally mean just a couple, like two, three wow. empty seats. It's, it's a it's a full house down there, and it's incredible. Now, in terms of how they how they do it, is it is it just the, the the two guys going against each other in the middle, and that's the only event, or they got a couple of mats going, and for, how do they do it? For the championship rounds, what they did is they went three mats. So okay. you did uh, each weight class, class one, class two, class three, win at the same time, but they all waited for the next weight class until all three of those matches were over with. So when you had the the straggler matches. Uh, you know, everyone was paying attention to that one straggler match going on, but everyone was kind of seated where you had to be. If you were there for, uh, you know, Fincham for East Rock in his in his, cha- in his 160 Class Two Championship match, you were sitting in the you were seated in the middle, as opposed to being on the left side where Class Three was going on, and on the right side where Class One was going on. So I mean, it was just it was just a, it's nuts, and, and it's nice how they do that. I mean, I I miss the old days where it was just one mat in the middle and the spotlight on it, which you know a lot of states do. But you know, if if it's the VHL's prerogative to hand out go six classifications in a sport, it doesn't need to be six classifications, and and wrestling does not need to be six classifications, especially you got an zero and eight kid in Class Three making it to the state fi- making it to the state tournament. Excuse me, not the finals. He was zero 
0-8 for the season. He's in, he's in Salem as a state participant. That That's bunk. Uh, but if you're going to go six classes, that's the way to do it. But they shouldn't be six classes. But I digress. This is nice. I'm sure the VHSL is listening to this going, those guys at the Rocktown Sports Pod, they, they finally like us this week. After after two re- weeks of just shredding them apart, uh, we, we finally finally show some appreciation for how they handle themselves. VHSL hasn't listened to me in 21 years. They're not going to start now. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think word is spread about the podcast. But, okay, let's get into it a little bit because it was kind of T.A.'s day mm-hmm. as far as the locals go. It was T.A.'s day to shine. Trey Hoover, 145 class, beat New Kent's Nathaniel Fry in a gold medal match. Jesse Knight, uh, the 285 class, beat Brentsville District's Grant Abernathy. What were you impressed with those guys? Let's just start wrestling technique on the mat, uh, that kind of deal first. Uh, well, let's start with Knight. I mean, the obvious thing with Knight is is he got hurt in a football game against Turner Ashby, broke his hand, missed about a first, I want to say month, maybe a month and two weeks, well, a month and a half of the wrestling season, got cleared, and as Smiley told me, you know, got right back in the gym, you know, got right back in the restroom, got right to work, and as Knight told me, it's like he felt like once he got used to how to use his hand, he felt stronger than he did last year. In terms of technique, when you get these heavyweight matches, and this we used to call the 285 yeah. back in the day. Uh, is this the PC? Is yeah, this the, the PC. PC. <laughs> uh, what you usually get on at your small invitationals, your, maybe your small local, you know, uh, duels or, 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 or three-team, you know, meets, qu- your, your quads, your trips, is that heavyweight match kind of turns into a, a lumbering slap fight. You know, they got four match, they got four mats set up at a small high school. They're, that's the last match of the day or the night. They're rolling up the other mats. People are leaving the gym. Meanwhile, you got these two very, very big human beings dead tired in the third period of their match, just leaning up against each other, you know, just huffing and puffing. Not with Jesse Knight. As soon as that whistle blew in that championship match, he just shot right at Abernathy. He or just went right at the kid, took the kid down, and it was just the quickest I've seen a heavyweight match in a long time. I mean, he just went right to work. He is not. He's heavyweight. He's he's heavyweight. He's two eighty five. He's a two eighty five wrestler just by virtue of being two eighty five. He's athletic, is what you're saying. He's exactly. athletic. That that's the only difference between Jesse Knight. And and, and, and and Trey Hoover at 145 is at 140 some odd pounds. That's the only difference because they both wrestle very similar styles. They're both very, very powerful. Knight is super, super quick. And he went right in there. And, and as soon as he took him down and he just, you know, established control of that match, I was sitting in press row, was right in front of the TA fans. I mean, I couldn't hear out of my left ear. Those TA fans were just going just crazy because they knew. And Hoover, after his win, told me that, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, are, are, are we, are, is T.A. walking out here with two golds? And he's guaranteed it. He said, oh, God. he's like, Jesse's the best person in that wrestling room. He's the best wrestler out there. Oh, I have no doubts. And he was, I mean, he was, you know, you know let's call him uh, Hoover Stadamus. You know, I mean, he predicted it. It wasn't in a quatrain, but, I mean, he said it. He just said it's going to happen, and it did. He went right to work, flipped him on his back, and that, and that T.A. crowd slowly getting louder and louder, and the, the ref's on the ground, on his belly, looking for that space, and the T.A. crowd just getting louder and louder, and then he slaps that mat, and it was just this crescendo of just, they just went crazy, and he got up, and the scream that he let out was just unbelievable, and did this, you know, flexed his muscles, and and it was just a, it was just utter, I mean, he pinned all four of his guys. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. That's That's ridiculous. I mean, his quickest pin was in the quarterfinals. He pinned a kid in a minute. Okay, he had one in between. I believe it was his semi, 
where he pinned a kid in 139. So here he, can, he pinned in a championship match. He pinned him in 147. I mean, it, I don't even think I looked at the point board. I like mean, the other kid, thanks for coming. Have a, have a nice trip home. And it seemed like everyone in the Salem Civic Center, other than uh, the Brentsville District team, Brentsville District fans, and Abernathy's family was rooting for Jesse because, okay, he's got during the offseason, he's a wrestler. Mm-hmm. All right? Don't let that football uniform fool you. Okay, he's a wrestler. He was out there. He went to the Disney Duels. All these people from Front Royal Skyline, all the wrestlers from Skyline High School and from Royal came down and were hugging this kid, hugging Jesse Knight from this school, what, 55, 60 miles away? Because he hooked up with them to go down to the Disney Duels and to go to Nationals. So, And he was getting his photo taken with all these kids from all these different high schools. And, and it was just, it was, it was a really neat moment that this kid was, you know, when you look back to where he was back in December when the season first started and he's... He, he's forced to be a cheerleader over at the Harrisburg Invitational, and he's just watching. and And I could tell when I was talking to him, you know, he just couldn't wait to get out there, even when his hand was still really it looked a little swollen. Uh, and he just he was just working and working, like Smiley told me. And it, it you know, and it's like Hoover said, you know, in the one in the one quote is just like, you know, you know, I worked my tail off, and it all paid off. And and, and Jesse did the same. Let, let's let's hear from Trey Hoover the full interview you did with him after. Uh, his championship victory. Here's Jim with Trey Hoover following his win. Yeah, this is all I ever wanted. This right here, state finals, get a pin. Couldn't be any better than that. I mean, what did you, I mean, you had, you got some back points there to start the second, and then would you just kind of grab control after that? Yeah, I have conditioning. I worked my tail off this season, and it showed right here, state champion. I mean, what's this feel like? I mean, this is what you dream about. It's, it's the greatest feeling in the world to know every hard work, all the woo, all the blood, sweat, and tears into the sport, and it shows how it goes. So Trey, he, he beats New Kent's Nathaniel Fry. What? Fly, fly. Nathaniel, Nathaniel Fly. Oh man. Okay, I, I gotta get my gotta get my names right here uh, before I butcher that three times. How about how about that match for a sec? It was it was what Trey Hoover does. Uh, he was he didn't get he was down two to one at the end of the first period. Uh, he got himself an escape uh, to to kind of make it to make it two to one there at the end of the first period, and then he did what he's supposed to do. Uh, he just he's a pinner, like Smiley told me. You know he can pin anybody in the state, and he just went. I mean it was you know I don't think at that point he was he was concerned about points because. He knew that he can gain the upper hand and pin this kid. So he wasn't looking for anything fancy. He wasn't looking for any reversals. He wasn't looking for, you know, a, a takedown or back points at that point. He was just looking. Obviously, he's looking for a takedown. He wants to get yeah. out of his back. Right. But he's not looking for the points. At that point, he's he looking want, for the win. He wanted to end it because, A, he's a senior. Okay, B, he's on the cusp of his first and only state title. C, how do you want to win? I mean, everyone wants to win a state championship. You know, goodness gracious, you don't care how it's done. But if you're going to live your dream, you want to win a state championship by hearing that, that ref's hand slap the mat. And, and, and he told me as much afterward. And Smiley told me as much afterward that that's how he was going to win. And it was just, once again, overpowering. You flip the kid on his back, and you can just kind of see him just really just, you know, get those legs spread out to so that so, – uh, Fly couldn't regain control, and now this is a fly kid who's now right now is in the in the throngs of a of a team title. You know he's got it. he's going for a team title. You know Hoover is just going for himself. You know New Kent's trying to knock off Christiansburg after 17 straight, and just it was just it was 
domination at that point. And as soon as that second, you know, what Jesse Knight did in the first period, Hoover did in the second period. And he was never scared. You know, he told me he was never scared. He was never worried because he knew that once that second period started, he knew what he had to do and he can get him. He could flip him and get him on his back and he can walk out with the pin. And, you know, that's what he did. It was just another overpowering they got a they got a good pro they got a good rising program over there i believe it had been since 2013 2012 since ta won a state title individually it had been since 2015 since the city county took home a state title when east rocks kisling uh won one as a heavyweight uh so i mean i don't know if that's in the back of their minds i i don't think they really knew that there was some city county there's some a, history to it. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think the kids knew there was a city county schneid to get off of. Uh, you know, they're not worried about that. All they worried about is getting gold around their necks. They they want the state championship, right? Yeah, and, and it was just a, it was just two very very good matches in the match you're supposed. To, it was let me rephrase that. It was two great matches in the match you're supposed to be great in. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. As far as you, you kind of touched on it, alluded to it right there. Uh, the future for for TA, the future uh, for for this area, I think it was it was Marshall Smiley who had a kind of a great quote, and, and let, let, me, let me just play that for you now on uh, what it kind of means for his guys moving forward. You know, it's huge, but at the same time, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm already thinking about all those other kids that didn't reach their goals. I'm already thinking about, you know, what do we got to do to you know get them there, and what do we got to do to fix them? I want to make their goals happen too. Like I'm super proud of those guys, and I always will be. But that twisted part of me, you know, I want to get right back to work, and I want to I want to help those other kids. And you know, we've got it. You know, we had some kids that I thought you know could have placed down here, lost some tough matches, and those. Those will continue to eat at me, and that's what gets you up every day and right back to the gym, right back to the mats, back to work, uh, because I want to make it happen for those kids too. Um, but, but obviously, you know, I'm super proud of those two guys. You know, for, you know, you want your season to end that way, and you know, it's stuff you never forget and you always appreciate. And you talked with him afterward. What was kind of your take? Because I thought it was really interesting that. That he kind of said it was it was more about the next wave of guys than uh, as much as he enjoyed being there this past Saturday. It was more about getting those next wave of guys there. Yeah, and I think that's what you're 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 getting not only from TA, but I think you're getting that from the other programs in, in the city county. Uh, you know, Spotswood, three of their five guys they sent down there uh, were state earned all state status. That's top six. Uh, you know, two of them are uh, Hartman, Zach Hartman, who lost two matches all year. Both of the same guy, the guy he lost the in, state this, title. in yeah. the state title, uh, is back. Uh, ben Conahan, who, you know, who when you, when you grow up wrestling in Ohio like he did, you know how to wrestle. Uh, he finished, I want to say, fourth. You know, he's back. Uh, I got to, you know, East Rock, uh, the uh, Brady Fincham, you know, he, he's back, who, who lost in the 160-pound uh uh, class two title match. He's back. I think what you're looking at is, I don't want to, you know, maybe I think we got to keep an eye on a resurgence. I think, you know, people out there might be upset if they're from Broadway, East Rock, or Spotswood. You know, you know, hey, why didn't, you know, we would like to have our guys win a state show. You know, I wish my guy would have won a state title, but I think what TA did, or specifically what Jesse Knight and Trey Hoover did, and what that program is doing is a benefit for the city county in terms of all wrestling because 
Spotswood's very good. Broadway's very good. East Rock looks like they're on the rise. Harrisburg, growing pains. They lost, they lost uh, Guillermo Torres from last year, and you don't replace Guillermo Torres that easily. Is you know These guys, before they get to Salem, before they get to districts or regionals, these guys are going to be beating up on each other. And if you're all the best, if you're all trying to beat the best and you're beating up on the best, you're only getting, or get beaten up by the best, you're only going to get better. And I think that's what we're going to see here is, you know, when when push comes to shove and Spotswood goes out and wins their state championship, uh, an individual state championship, Broadway brings home gold, Harrison brings home its first gold in like 23 years. Uh, and, and, you know, Brady Fincham continues to improve. And, you know, he's going to win a state title at some point. Brady Fincham is going to win a state title. Zach Hartman. Probably should win a state title, but I think he's a, a he's a, a victim of circumstance. You know, the guy he lost to is in the same weight class that he's in, and he's also coming back. Okay. So I think you know what you're going to see there. And, and Zach Hartman wasn't too bothered by it afterward. You know, he, you know, I think I said, you know, no one wants to hear congratulate. I, you know, no wrestler wants to hear congratulations on second place. And and you know, he told me he's like, you know what, you know, it, it does, you know, this is fine. I don't get I don't get caught up in this. He's like. I wrestled, you know, I want to wrestle him again. I want to keep wrestling him because, you know, the, the kid from Brentsville, not Brentsville, uh, Brookville, man, I can't think of his name now. It's going to drive me nuts. Hunter something or other is his first name is Hunter. Uh, you know, they helped each other get better. And I talked to the Hunter kid from Brookville, and he said the same thing. He's like, I like wrestling him. You know, I want to wrestle him more. Uh, you know, Zach may get him eventually. You know, that's the point of this. You know, Zach, and it want, this goes back to the best right. if you wrestling can, the best. If you can get get a schedule next year where you're, where you're taking on some quality opponents, that'll set you up a little bit more well-prepared for, for Salem. Yeah, wrestlers don't run. You know, these guys don't want to, I mean, these, these guys, guys are crazy. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Some of these kids, I, I knew some wrestlers in high school. and They're, they're, they're disciplined and they're crazy. Yes. I mean, they're, they're like cross-country runners. You know, they're disciplined, but they're crazy because a cross-country runner throws up after every run. They pass out in the shoe. Oh. And, then, and then, you know, a week later, they go out there and they do it again. You're just like, what are you thinking? You know, God bless you if you're doing that. And that's how these wrestlers are. And, and they don't run. You know, they want, you know, Jesse Knight's got that, got that huge target on his back now. Okay, everyone's going to want a piece of Jesse Knight next year because Class 3 heavyweight, like it or not, runs through Jesse Knight next year. He's not going to run. I'll guarantee you. I mean, he finished undefeated this year. Jesse Knight doesn't care. I can't imagine he cares if he goes 22-0, 35-5, 38-10. All he cares about is getting that one win at the last in the last match of the year to walk out the state title because all those losses, if he loses, and all those wins are only going to make him better, and any wrestler is going to tell you the same thing. No doubt. It sounds like it was. It sounds like it was a fun weekend, though. It is. It's a long weekend. I mean, it's a long day. That Saturday is a very long day, and they need to put food and water for media down there. Oh no, no media meal. No, no, no. Oh no. I was so. De- I'm, I'm used to that. That college, <laughs> that D1 press box. That's got. That's Man, got a nice warm meal for me. I got my car. I was so dehydrated. I stopped, bought a bottle of water at a gas station. I had that bottle of water in me in like two seconds. I don't think I ever <laughs> drink water that fast in my life. <laughs> well, well, good stuff. I know. I, I'm. I'm sorry. It was a long day, but it sounds like it was a good one. At least, and now I, I'll make an awkward transition as we go from prep wrestling to women's college basketball, and I bring in Shane Metlin. I know Shane, uh, pretty much a, con- a continuation for the women's basketball program. A solid weekend for them. A win this past Friday against the College of Charleston, and then a win. Uh, on Sunday against UNCW, got their revenge uh, from our loss earlier this season when, when JMU lost down there in Wilmington. Uh, what would you kind of make of it, and, and, and how would you kind of see that one play out in terms of JMU getting their revenge against the Seahawks? 
the impressive thing I think was that they didn't play their best. Some things didn't really go their way. They were missing layups and point blank shots, and you know both both teams were not extremely happy with the officiating. So they weren't necessarily thinking like oh, everything's going our way today, but they're still able to pull it off. And you know a lot of teams maybe would have been like, God, this team's got our number again. Like um, it didn't happen. They were able to, especially in the fourth quarter, you know, get a lead, hang on to it, you know. When, in that kind of situation, they're going to put the ball in Kamaya Small's hand and let her take care of things, and she did. You know, Everybody in the building knew she was getting the ball to the top of the key and was going to go to the basket, and they still could not stop her late in the game. And that's really you know, kind of been the story for them all year. When they need a bucket, she's able to get it. Yeah, it, it's funny because after the game, uh, and you sent this audio clip to me, she was asked uh, if she is the closer for the team, and she, she, had, she had a funny response. Uh, and, and really an inevitable answer. So here's here's Kamaya Smalls answering the question, is she the closer for the team? No, I don't. Yeah. I just consider myself a leader in all categories, um, whether it's swag, whether it's keeping your teammates up, whether it's being positive. I just want to make sure that I'm leading my team. So I want to say, to, okay, I guess I'm the closer. <laughs> yes, I'm the closer. So at first she says no. Then she sort of backtracks a bit and ends up uh, ends up to the inevitable yes. Yeah, and um, I, the reason I sent you that clip was partially because it kind of like goes back to something I've talked to Sean O'Regan about at times this year is her one of the things that makes her a special player is her ability to have that kind of confidence and know she's the go-to player and know sometimes there's going to be times where the ball is going to be in her hands and she's going to take over a game but still be a very good teammate. Uh, all her teammates love her. Like you know, she's best friends with uh, Lexi Barrier. Where you know, on some teams there might be some you know tension about who's going to get the shots between two players like that. And there's not anything like that at all in this group. And um, that that's really like I think one thing that separated her as a player is you know she's not taking 25 shots a game. She will distribute the ball, but also has this knack of knowing when it's time for her to take over, and she does it on a game by game basis. Yeah, for, for me it's interesting because I, I, I've seen them, you know, a couple times over the last couple of years filling in for you or filling in for Josh. And there was a game up in Philly that I'd covered a couple of years ago when I went up and played St. Joe's, and that's in front of her home, you know, her home crowd, family, friends, whatever. And she just took over the game. And it seems like she just has that instinct to at times, and, and even more so now that she's an older player. Uh, that, that game in Philly, I guess, was when she was a freshman. But now as an older player, it's just it's just that that go that everybody expects it from her uh, and that, that she can kind of do it regularly and, and JM, you can rely on that. And they've had that in the past with, with Precious Hall and others. Uh, but, but Kamaya kind of takes it, takes it to that next level because she's so efficient. Yeah, she really is. She's, um, I haven't checked the most recent stats after this weekend, but going into the weekend, she was just barely second in the conference and field goal percentage as a guard who, like I said, she could be taking 25 shots a game if she wanted to, and nobody would tell her not to. But, you know, she's not. She's getting those points on, you know, 13, 15 shots per game and shooting almost 50%, which is kind of unheard of for somebody who has the ball as much as she does. You know, she's not a power forward catching it in the post and turning and making layups all the time. She's shoot, scoring all over the floor, which... Yeah, so so, so I'll stop right there because we want to... I want to kind of take this conversation to the question of is she kind of the hands-down favorite for CAA Player of the Year. You look kind of big picture at the conference. She's averaging over 17 points a game. That's third in the league. She's top 15 in rebounding, top two in field goal percentage, as you said. 
top 10 in free throw percentage. How do you kind of assess that and, and stack her up to the rest of the league? I feel like she's clearly the player of the year in a league. You know, she meets kind of all the all the benchmarks. She's the best player on the best team. She's, you know, leading that's, so that, many categories. That, that to she's, me, that to me is always kind of the the measuring stick when you have multiple kind of worthy candidates. It's well, which one of them is the best on a best team? <laughs> and do you think that kind of has credentials with, with coaches and and that kind of deal? I, I think so. I think you know a lot of people who vote are going to look at it and say like. The team, the player of the year, ought to come from JMU because they've dominated this conference. But even beyond that, she's just statistically she's right there with everybody else. You know, there may be a couple of players who score more points, but nobody's scoring more important points than her this year. Nobody's you know handling the ball as much as her. Um, like I said, you know, there have been and. You know, one thing I've written about that's happened every time a player of the year candidate has come into the convocation center this year. Yeah. She and her teammates, you know, she's gotten help defensively, but it's been a dominant effort. She's done what she does every game, you know, 15 to 20 points and sometimes 25 points. And they've shut down, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, Jess Ginko from Northeastern, uh Boogie Brzezowski from Hofstra, a lot, a lot of the high-scoring players in this conference, both girls from Towson, they've just completely shut them down or made them take 25, 30 shots to get their double-figure scoring games. And that's what maybe separates her the most to me is the head-to-head matchups. She's just, you can tell she likes playing against the best players and she does a great job when she does play against the best players. Yeah, it's interesting uh, because she, she does play her best kind of against the mm-hmm. best competition as well. I was thinking because Friday when they played College of Charleston, Sean emptied the bench really early in that fourth quarter. And I guess Kamaya only finished with like nine points in the game. But you look back and the nine points are, are during a run or during a run when JMU really separates and, and goes running away. So uh, she's always kind of the best in, when, when the team needs her. And that's that's, I guess, kind of the point that makes you that worthy player of the year uh, candidate. That College of Charleston game, they won by 41 points. So uh. Yeah, and that's a team that they have completely outmatched. There's been teams that they've beaten badly this year, and it's just because they've been playing and clicking so much. But, you know, that's one of those games where, like, even if they don't play particularly well, you're expecting a 25-point win because right. they, they have the team outmatched. And that's another thing about Kamaya is she doesn't look at that and say, like, well, I still got to get the 15 points to keep my average up. You know, she she's fine with she's so comfortable in her role and her place and what, you know, I think she's confident she's going to win some awards, but it also doesn't necessarily matter as much to her as, you know, making it to the NCAA tournament this year and, you know, winning a conference tournament and kind of taking that next step as a team that they haven't done yet since she's been here. Yeah, I won't get to the NCAA tournament stuff in, in just a bit, but one other thing I want to touch on, getting Kayla Cooper-Williams back this past weekend for them after she missed the game, I guess with the eye injury. Uh, how big is that for them? She seemed like a pretty good presence there in, in each of the last two. Yeah, she's like really played well, especially in the conference season, really since they had that loss at Maryland earlier in the season when they were kind of overmatched by the athleticism and the size of Maryland and she got in early foul trouble. And that's something... That's really been the one thing for her all year is if she gets in foul trouble because she's a shot blocker. She's aggressive that way. Um, she doesn't score a ton of points sometimes, but, I mean, I'm, you know, without looking too hard at 
who else are the candidates right now? I've sort of been thinking, you know, she's definitely a first-team all-conference candidate, even without scoring a lot of points, just because of the way she controls games defensively and rebounding. And, you know, there was a point in the conference season where she was averaging like 16 points a or 16 rebounds a game against conference opponents. and That's pretty that's pretty yeah. unreal. And she could be a defensive player of the year candidate, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I think she'd almost have to be a lock for that in my mind. And, you know, but she's so good defensively and rebounding, and they get their scoring elsewhere, and she knows her role. Like, I would definitely consider a candidate for, you know, all league honors too, you know, first or second team. Gotcha. No, that, that, that makes sense. So Small's playing well. Cooper Williams back, and that, that kind of has JMU steamrolling uh, toward the CA tournament and what they hope will be an NCAA tournament bid. They're 20-4 and four right now, 12-1 and one in the league. They've won eight straight, 14-15, of 15, uh, dating back to that St. John's game in December. How do you kind of see it at this point? First, I guess the, the obvious question is, do you kind of lock them into that CA automatic bid? Do you think there's anybody that can take them out in a CA tournament? Well, um... Then nothing's, you know, definite when it comes to that tournament. Uh, you know, I think they thought they were better than Elon last year and were knocked out by them the last couple of years. Um, and UNCW gives them trouble for whatever reason. It's, it's a matchup thing. Like, they um, they have some bigger post players who can kind of, you know, create some space. And they, um, outside of that, they have a lot of guards who are just kind of, they're big guards. They can get to the basket. Um, if Sharita Parker comes back healthy, who didn't play against them uh, this weekend, uh, they could give them some trouble. They'll probably want to see them on the other side of the bracket if they can. Um, and then Drexel's just a pretty good team. JMU beat them fairly handily uh, when they played up in Philly. Um, they still got another game with them. Uh, Bailey Greenberg is a good player. I'd say probably the second best player in the conference. And you know, Drexel could give them t- problems, you know, and a bad shooting night can can cut you down almost any time. Okay, so let's just say for whatever reason the Dukes don't make that magical run and have a great CA tournament, get knocked out, get upset for whatever reason, uh, and kind of have to hope the, the automatic qualifying bid comes through. You look at their four losses, Hampton, Maryland, Wake Forest, and UNCW, and what would be probably another loss to either UNCW or Drexel, let's just say yeah. one of those teams, uh, for, for this argument. Do you think there's still a chance to get in uh, with, with an at-large bid? It, it, there's a chance, and I actually asked uh, Sean Regan about it today, if uh, he was in the mode yet to maybe start lobbying a little bit, because you look at their resume, they are um, 36th in the country RPI. Um, they have a 4-1 and record against the top 100 um, with another game against Drexel, who I think is in the 70s RPI coming up. Um, and one of their wins is against St. John's, who's just outside that top 100, could possibly slip in, depending on how things go the rest of the season. Um, so you, they're looking at possibly being 6-1 and one against the top 100 in the RPI by the end of the regular Pretty season. Pretty good. That's good. That's good. And um, the one loss would be at Maryland, a top 10 team. Uh, so they, I think they have a strong case for an at-large bid. Right now, um, particularly, you know, if they don't come up with any more bad losses, you know, if another loss down the line was to a team like Drexel or UNCW, who's, I think, in the 120s as far as RPI, um, that wouldn't be a bad loss. Um, But, you know, they're also in a position where it's easy for Sean O'Regan to say, like, we need to win this tournament. We need to be focused. This is how we're getting into the NCAA tournament this year because that's 
what they've missed out on since he's become coach. It's really the only knock against them so far. Yeah, especially, you know, you look at mid-majors, you know, it hasn't gone well, especially, you know, either, well, you look men's side, women's side, yeah. uh, has, hasn't gone well for mid-majors as far as securing those at-large bids in, in recent years. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think if they don't get in, one game they might look at down the line, back look back on with regret is that Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. That's another, you know, um, loss. That's not a bad loss. They're in the one. 20s, I think, RPI-wise. Um, but it's a game they feel like they should have, could have won. They made some mistakes right down the stretch and lost by one point. Um, and that would have been a solid road win against an ACC team, which, you know, whether they admit it or not, they look at, oh, they oh, beat yeah. an ACC team. That's a, me- it's a yeah. measuring stick type yeah. deal. Uh, when, when mid-majors go play, you know, Power 5, I guess we, we'll use stick-to-football terms, call them Power 5 schools. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, I guess, seating, potential locations, how, how do you see that? 7 to 10, 11 to 14, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> it's early, but what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, they have a shot to, you know, move up a little bit, I think, and get into that, you know, 8, 9 range, I would think. Right now, you, you mentioned before we started recording, there's some bracketology-type people who had another, like, 11 right now. Like we said, if they can get to where they have a six and one record, maybe seven and one, depending on what they do in the conference tournament against the top one hundred, I would think they're in that range. You know, eight, nine, ten. Um, last year, Elon won the CAA. Didn't have quite as good a record. They went in as a thirteen seed. So that's just sort of like a benchmark there. Um, Elon played close to home against NC State. They got hammered in that game, but. Um, they, you know, it was a, it was a fairly favorable draw for them. I think to be a 13 seed, you know, in a region close to their, close to their close home, to home. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would think if NC or if a JMU gets in this year, they would be in a little bit better position than that. You know, anything 12 or lower, I think, would be maybe a little bit harsh. Fair enough. Uh, good conversation there with the women's basketball. They are on the road this weekend after yeah. after two home games. Yep, yep. They're uh, on the road. They are doing that swing down to uh, Elon and William and Mary, the travel partner system mm-hmm. there. So that's uh, where they're this weekend. And a couple of games that they should be heavily favored in again once once again. Um, and that Elon team they beat by fifty two. I think oh. it was. When they, oh. That was one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen in person, and you know, especially at that level with you know. Yeah. Teams that you would think would be fairly comfortable being in the same conference. <laughs> for, for sure. And the men, the men are away this weekend as well, right? Yeah, they're up at uh, doing the Northeastern North thing, North, Northeastern and uh, Hofstra, which is going to be a tough challenge to keep their momentum going after a couple big wins. That, uh, say, who, who'd Hofstra lose to? Hofstra lost Hofstra this week, lost right? to UNC Wilmington, which was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Um, their, uh, UNC Wilmington is... Second to last in the conference right now. They're behind JMU now after JMU uh, won a couple of games. and But they uh, knocked off Hofstra, who had won, I believe, they'd won 19 of 20 going into that game, I think it was. and uh, Yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise, but it kind of shows you what hey. can happen in this conference. It's anybody can beat anybody almost. Should be an interesting weekend to watch it play out. A uh, couple other things got to touch on before, before me and you wrap up and, and get to Cody. Jamie softball, uh, they opened this past weekend three and two down in the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational. They beat nationally ranked Oregon, top six ranked Tennessee. 
uh, as well as FAU. Lost to Cal. Lost to number 18, Kentucky. Megan Good's back. Kate Gordon can swing it. How do you, how do you, how do you I guess, kind of sum up the weekend for the, for the softball team? It was a good weekend for them. I mean, if they went 4-1 and one or 5-0, and oh, that would have been pretty incredible. Um, you know, I think... Personally, I looked at the score of the opening game against Cal, and I was like, "Oh wow, they've got a lot more tough games ahead." And then they turned around and beat a couple, you know, really good teams. And you know, making good back out there, you know, was dominant in a couple starts. So struggled a little bit more in her third start, but you know, I guess probably the one thing they need to uh, see is if they're going to have to totally ride her arm, or if they're going to be able to get a little bit more out of their other two pitchers. But um, Solid start and, you know, earning their national ranking, I think, with a couple of those wins. On the other side, Jamie Baseball uh, swept Norfolk State this past weekend. I was there for the doubleheader on Friday. The pitching was excellent. Uh, Kevin Kelly, Brett Ayer, Nick Stewart. Uh, they struck out 30 hitters, 30 Norfolk State hitters in the doubleheader Friday. Struck out 42 in the three-game series uh, against the Spartans. Uh, it was pretty ideal start. When I talked with Ike, and you'll hear the interview in just a minute, uh, when I talked with Ike, Marlon Eikenberry, Jamie's baseball coach, after the game, uh, he, he basically said, you know, it was a pretty good weekend, uh, pretty good start on Friday night, uh, how you draw it up, that kind of deal. Uh, so it's so a lot to like with the baseball team as well if you're a JMU fan. Uh, between, I just think the pitching, if they can keep that up, they're 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 going to go pretty pretty well. That, 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 that's kind of across the board baseball, yeah. softball, Shane. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's in these bat and ball sports, it really does always come down to pitching, and they've definitely got some arms, and it's just kind of how they can fill in when their aces aren't aren't available. But um, yeah, they off to a good start. So here, here's my conversation with Marlon Eikenberry from Friday night, the Jamie baseball coach, after the Dukes took uh, their season-opening doubleheader from Norfolk State. They went on to sweep the series. But here's, here's my talk with Ike after the games on Friday. That's, that's about as, as ideal of a, of a start, right, as, as you can kind of draw it up. you got good pitching. you got good hitting. Uh, how would you kind of assess the, the, the sweep today? You know, I thought I thought early on, I thought our guys were a little, you know, had some butterflies early, especially with you know three freshmen in the infield starting out, and I, you know, but they they, they went about their business, and once once the lights came on and, and and we played, and you know, I was really proud of how we just competed and and, and how they just kind of handled their, their their emotions a little bit on day one. You know, you always kind of worry about how they're going to be on the first college games, but you know, I was really proud of how. How Kevin, you know, settled us in there. I mean, Trayvon played great defense, had some big hits for us all day, and uh, you know, I was I was just really pleased with how everybody played overall. I think you know, it kind of we set the tone in that first game when we got out of the jam and and, and Michael Morgan threw the guy out stealing, and, and you know, and, and the energy was was electric in our dugout all, all night. See, when when Kevin's throwing up zeros, how much easier does it make it for guys who are playing for the first time to, to relax and go up there and hit? Well, you know, Kevin's one of those one of those pitchers where we're, they're going to put they're going to put ball and play on him, and I was. I mean, I was really pleased with how we played defense. I mean, and, and you know, to be completely honest with uh, Michael Morgan has not caught a ton in the preseason as much as we wanted him to. And for him to go back there and, and, and catch Kevin because they played high school together. And I, and I knew I wasn't going to catch Kyle for 18 innings on day one. And, and we talked about it last night. And you know, it felt like, hey, Mike catches game one. <clears throat> and then... Um, you know, Connor Hardigan had a big, big day in the DH role, and you know, and it was it was nice to get a lead early and kind of you know empty the bench a little bit in, in game one, and then this last, the second game, you know, I, I was a little bit, a little bit closer, and, and we just got lucky to put up a crooked number there in the bottom of the eighth. Say so it, it was tight. 
Uh, but you look at the two games and 30 strikeouts from your pitching staff. And was it that many? Between the two, it was. It was. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know it was that many. I, you know, and I, you know, we know. I mean, that's. I mean, we know that's the strength of our program, and we know if we if we can if we can play defense and we pitch like that, you know, it's, we're gonna we're gonna be pretty successful. You know, and uh, I, all, I, the contributions from everybody from the bullpen, from the bench, you know, just you know, all of them playing their first games and. You know, just the, the overall focus of going to class this morning, and then you know us moving the game up and playing 18 ends on the first day. I was I was a little I was a little worried about how we would respond to that, and I thought our guys responded great. It kind of showed how tough we are in game two. You know, and we talked about it. You know, I said, hey, game two of a game where you know the first game's lopsided, and game two you never know. You know how the young guys who ha haven't played 18 ends of baseball in a long time, how that was going to take place. So, you know, I, like I said, I was just really pleased with how focused we were, and, and you know, we, we made some mistakes, and, and, and you know, we weren't perfect. But uh, you know, I, I was really pleased with how we competed. The way the way Brett, you were able to extend him today, is that something you wanna you wanna do this year? Yeah, I mean he's he's I mean that's how he is. You know, um, you know he struck out the side three times. I mean I can't. I mean I just tell our guys you know just keep pulling the energy in, and when he gets on the mound, he does that. You know our guys our guys feed off that, and um, especially in a in a game where you know. It was a close game, and and we need we needed him to do that. So then you guys come in the next half inning and break open the game. Is that that's how you draw it up? Well, yeah. I mean, when we put the seventh spot up in the eighth, uh, you know, I was just I was I was pleased. We talk about extended lead, extended leads, and I was just pleased how we did it tonight. And uh, you know, Fox 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 didn't Fox Simone's um, he uh, he he was trying to do too much early in the game, and for him to hit that triple and you know kind of break it open was kind of a relief for everybody because he was trying to hit every ball over the batter's eye, and and just having him you know hit that triple kind of really set the tone as, as, as we came in. And we had and we had our you know Nick we had Nick hot and we weren't gonna lose anybody else. He was already ready to go. So we said hey let's get him, let him come in and get any worth of work. So that was Jamie baseball coach Marlon Eikenberry on the team's double header uh, season opening double header sweep of Norfolk State went on a sweep the Spartans uh, this past weekend. They're currently playing their midweek game. I our TA's Justin Showalter uh, was on the mound this afternoon against Longwood. I think they're in a fourth inning or so right now as we speak. I'll head over uh, to Veterans Memorial Park in a bit uh, to catch up with, with some players over there after the game. Uh, but I'm going to transition and, and talk a little local hoops, as, as kind of we always do here on the Rocktown Sports Pod. At least it seemed that way uh, kind of since we started uh, the podcast earlier this month. We've talked a lot about these teams. I'm bringing Cody Elliott now. Big thanks to Shane for, for talking JMU uh, with me for, for, for about 15 minutes there. But going to bring in Cody Elliott, our prep writer now, uh, to talk about a lot of these teams that we've talked about uh, for, the, for the past month or so. A uh, bunch of games tonight. Uh, some state tournament implications uh, with most of these games. You got the SHS girls, Spotswood girls. They're the top seed hosting number five, Fluvanna, tonight uh, in the Region 3C semifinals. Spotswood boys, they're the top seed hosting number four, Broadway, tonight as you'll have two locals going at it in the Region 3C boys semifinals. And then in Region 2B, East Rock girls. Uh, getting ready to host Madison County uh, here pretty shortly over at ERHS. Uh, and then the boys will host the same Madison County team uh, tonight at East Rock as well in the quarterfinals of the Region 2B tournament. So just, just to kind of run through, I know the local game is kind of probably the most important of the bunch, Spotswood Broadway. Let me just get your thoughts on that. 
uh, and, and how you think it'll play out tonight. That's the game you're covering. Uh, yeah, I think that's the the closest one we can look at. I mean, you look at the other games. Um, the East Drop boys have already played Madison. They they beat them pretty pretty easily throughout the regular season twice. Um, the East Drop girls did split with Madison, but the second game was kind of a weird situation. Some players were out and, and such like that. And I think East Rock's the better team there. And then you look at the Spotswood girls. Um, I don't think they'll have any problem with Fulvana. So I think that Spotswood Broadway boys game kind of stands out. Um, you know, they've played three times already. Spotswood's already beat them all three times. But in each game, Broadway's kind of shown. We talked about it, I think, two weeks ago on this podcast. You know, Broadway's shown those flashes. Um, we talked about them being able to put together a complete performance in the district championship. They weren't able to do it then. Um, you know, now it's now or never not for that team. Um, you know, if, if they can't do it tonight, their season comes to an end. So um, that should be a good game. Those two teams are uh, they're pretty. They're pretty. They've developed a pretty good rivalry over the last couple of years, especially this season. Well, when um, you play four times, yeah, yeah, and and, and they're they're two very physical teams. Um, they they've got you know arguably two of the best uh, post players in the in the Valley District and Angel Pacheco Ortiz and Seth Kimes. So um, you've got both of those guys down low. You've got some good guard play around those two teams. So. You know, with, with what's at stake, I, I expect a pretty um, a pretty heated game tonight in uh, Pin Laird. What's the most interesting of the other of the other three? If you had to pick, if you have to pick one of them, well, I think if you it, what's interesting is how East Rock responds. Um, you know, East Rock boys losing the the Shenandoah semifinals, so now they've had a week off, which could come to their advantage in a way. But you know, they've had a week off, and um, that loss to Lee, they just they, they did not look like the same team at all. And so how they come back from that and how they, they come out tonight will be interesting to see, um, you know, whether they come out with still a little slow from that loss or whether they come out, you know, ready to kind of get back on track a little bit. All right, so that, that, that's enough prep hoops talk for a while until until they start getting into the state tournament and games start really meaning something. Sticking with East Rock, though, going to talk a little football because Jawan Evans, the running back class of 2019, had a great year, Shenandoah District Player of the Year. What's the situation right now? Because he's he, he's kind of in limbo still, but they seem like their offer's still coming in. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as, as the season ended, I, I think that he was maybe a little disappointed with, with what he had on the table. Um, you know, I think he had offers that, that intrigued him, um, but nothing that really popped out to him yet. He um, kind of wanted to wait around. And then, you know, slowly National Signing Day came up, and the second National Signing Day, and it, it still was kind of, you know, in question of what he was going to do. And um, it seems like, at least, uh, you know, over these past few weeks, um, whether he, that's been because of him setting out stuff, I don't, you know, I'm not sure what the reasoning is. But in the past few weeks, he's suddenly had a little bit bigger interest than he's had from any at any other point in his recruiting. Um, you know, he he took a visit to Old Dominion. Um, whether or not they've offered yet, is, I haven't heard. Um, but then, you know, then just two days ago, then he posted a, a picture on Twitter um, announcing that Illinois um, had offered him a preferred walk-on spot. So, you know, I know, you know, Donnie Coleman has talked about Jay Wan's guy who just wants a chance. Um, you know, he feels like if he can get into the right program, uh, you know, he feels like he could be successful just because of the amount of time that Jay Wan puts into the sport. Um, so, you know, I think it's interesting. I think he's just waiting out for the right offer. Now, you know, I would think that's got to be coming soon. You know, the school year is slowly coming to a close here, so he's got to eventually make a decision here. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's I think that's it's just a waiting game right now. Yeah, it's interesting because National Signing Day, some of those D1 programs uh, who maybe didn't land the running back they wanted to sign that day, 
they may have a spot on the roster, not necessarily want to use a scholarship, but at least that may be what it seems like in the case of Illinois. So maybe there's an opportunity there. Uh, but he, he's going to have a decision to make nonetheless. What what do you think? Because there, there's a wide array of programs that are interested from, from D2 to FBS Power 5. You're talking Illinois in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. Old Dominion at the Group of Five level, Howard at the FCS level, and then a couple of D2. Moorhead State also FCS, Glenville State, mm-hmm. West Virginia State, uh, D2 level. So right. uh, he, he's got his options. I guess it's just going to be wherever he feels comfortable, or do, do, do you think he has a preference? Well, yeah, and for the longest time, everyone asked me that question. I, I, I always pointed to Glenville State. They've also offered Darius Brown, the wide receiver at East Rock. They've got Jalen McNair there now, um, Javon Butler, a couple of former East Rock guys. So there's and, and several coaches on the staff at uh, Glenville are from the Elkton area. Originally, they know a lot of the coaches there. So there's a lot of connections between those two staffs. So that, that seemed to make the most fence most sense naturally um but you know Jay Wan's a guy where he he wants to play under the biggest lights and he's made that very clear and talking to him as many times as I have um he he wants to be on the biggest stage he can get on and I would not be shocked if he he went to a a, a different situation if he took a preferred walk-on spot at Illinois or or went to an old dominion with maybe less incentive just because he wants to play on that bigger stage um he loves the he loves the attention. He loves the he loves that kind of stuff. So I could definitely see him taking a less financially maybe making making sense financially. What man, I make as much sense, but I could see him making that decision just because of the simple fact he wants to play football on the biggest stage. Okay, yeah, that's that that's very very interesting. And the thing is, if if he goes there, maybe he gives himself that shot to earn a scholarship down the road. And if it doesn't work out, you see it a lot. Uh, kids that, that were recruited by FCS and FBS programs, they end up at FBS mm-hmm. programs first, uh, sit the bench right. for a year or two, realize they're not going to maybe play as much or earn a scholarship if they're a walk-on at that level, mm-hmm. and decide to transfer down to the FCS level or D2 level where they can play on scholarship and, right. and receive significant playing time. So plenty of options for Jaywan. Do you have a guess? Uh, you know, if you would have asked me that about a month ago, I would have said uh, Glenville State. I've been on the Glenville State train for a while now with him. I thought that was the right fit. But um, if there's one thing to, to that I've learned with Jay Wan, it's never to think you've got to figure it out with him what he's going to do. And so, um, you know, like I said, I could see him going bigger. If I would still put my money towards Glenville State. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's – I think it's wide open right now, and I think I think we're still in for a little bit longer of just waiting around to see what happens with him. All right, Cody, good stuff. That'll do it for today's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. For Cody Elliott, sports editor Jim Sacco, and JMU Hoops writer Shane Metlin, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.